Thursday night, we'll be getting back to the discipleship class. Uh, um, also, uh, uh, if you were query to go to Timberwood uh, this weekend, uh, it was a, uh, a nice celebration of life.
moving on uh, from the loss of a loved one. We also ask you to be with the uh, hunt that they continue to, that process. Uh, Lord, we just ask you to draw near to them and let them feel your presence. And uh, we know you would. We ask you to protect our country. Uh, give Roger and I the ability to explain the things that need to be explained tonight so the hearts that need to hear it can hear it and apply it to our lives. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Excuse me. Uh, we're in verse 15. Uh, it says, in my, in my Bible, it says, uh, from slaves of sin to slaves of God. We're going to, from 15 to 23, we'll probably, it will finish out this chapter. I doubt that we will finish this chapter tonight. Uh, but we, we will, we will sort of give it a shot. It says, uh, what then shall we, what then, that's a question mark, shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under peace, certainly not. Do you not know that uh, that to whom you uh, present yourself, slaves to obey, you are the one. You're, you are the one slave whom you obey, uh, whether of the sin leading to death or of obedience uh, leading to righteousness. But God has thanked, uh, God be thanked that through you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart uh, that's from the doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves to righteousness. I speak in human terms uh, because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you were presented your just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanliness and of lawlessness, leading uh, to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. I'm gonna stop right there and then we'll finish the last three verses uh, a little bit later. Uh, that's a lot to go through right there. Uh, we became servants of whom we obey. Or we become servants of whom we obey. If we obey Christ, we become servants of Christ. If we obey our flesh, we become servants of sin. Uh, we are not to continue the practice of sin. Um, sometimes we feel like it. we can just go about doing what we want to do because we've been saved. And uh, that's not necessarily the case. Should, should we sin because we're no longer under the law? No. Um, we were all under sin before we came to Christ in Romans uh, 3 9. And so now, it said, we're now to have uh, fellowship with the Father and the Son in 1 John uh, 1 13. We're going to have fellowship with the Father and the Son. We're not going to be having fellowship with our flesh and, and our sin, sinful past. We're now to go to those who are still under the law. Now it's our job to go tell them that they're still under the law. And that look what happened to us. You know, we've been saved. And that, you know, and you, you go down that path. First Corinthians 9, 20 and 21. We're not to be with them, but we are to talk with them. How do you get somebody to come to Christ? Number one, prayer. Number two, how do you get somebody to listen to you when you're teaching the gospel? Or trying to bring them to the gospel so that they can hear the gospel and make it see. You have to build a relationship with them. You, some people have the ability to be able to do it cold on the street. 
That's great. If you've got that ability and that gift, have at. But some of us do not. Some of us are so afraid to share the gospel, we have to be with somebody we've known for years and years and years that we know that a human being likes rejection. I don't care who you are. I don't care how thick your skin is. None of us like being rejected. And that is the biggest fear and the biggest tool that Satan has to stop us from sharing the gospel is fear of rejection. Oh, if I say that, they're going to cuss me out. Okay. Have you never been cussed out before? I have. I got cussed out by professionals. They got paid to When I was in the army. <laughs> but, but anyway, with that being said, they're going to say ugly things about you. They're going to say ugly things about you when you're sharing the gospel and witness. It's not about the. We're just called to deliver the message. Sometimes they shoot the message. There's something not like this. And then they'll have an encounter with the Holy Ghost. And that's what's going to cause them. You've got to plant that seed. you got to plant that seed. That's all we're called to do. Plant the seed. And, and who knows? We might be thinking we're planting a seed when we're actually watering. We don't know that. that we can't see the hearts of men. But God can. And so uh, we're to go. And, and, and tell those who are still under the law. First Corinthians 9, 20 and 21. Uh, we have died to the law so that we can live to God. Let me rephrase that. Let me re-say that. We have died to the law so that we can live to God. It's not just we died to the law and now we get to live for God. We live to God. He tells us. He dies us. He tells us what we should do. We should be very humble when we share the gospel. We should be very polite when we share the gospel. But we should be very truthful when we share the gospel. And, and that's what we do. Go ahead, Robert. I know you're right here. You're here. Um, uh, you know, there's a, a concept here. Of, of six is the hardest chapter in the world, according to Dr. Bodhi it's very difficult to understand. But now that you have been here, most of you have been here and heard how he set up the doctrines, now chapter 6 begins to throw out how he's supposed to live. And you will hear this multiple times through the rest of this chapter. As slaves, we have left, we have left this authority of sin with your guide of sin. Jesus has taken all authority on earth. And sin has been buried, in our case, as a believer. It's been buried with Christ. And so you had, like we said last time, two dates on your death certificate. One was when Christ died, and the other one was when you accepted the Lord. Those two deaths, dates of death on your certificate has put you in a position now to, at the first of this, um, what then shall we sin because we are not under the law? Paul is making an appeal to the logic here. He's, uh, contrary to popular opinion, he's not doing a Greco-Roman response. As I learned here recently, the very first verse of this book says, I am a servant of the Savior. 
Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Servant is slave in the Greek. And what he is saying is, I am a slave. And so we got to go clear back to Exodus. What were they? Seventy of them came to Egypt, and then they had 1.5 million or whatever, 1.2 million slaves to Pharaoh. And now they have transferred in Exodus their loyalty. They haven't. They haven't been set free, although God has said, I have set you free. He has taken them as his slaves. Paul is accentuating this in the Roman church right now. You're leaving the slave to sin to the slave of God. The slavery, you crossed over the Red Sea. And that is a historical significance that he's trying to get across and they were full of slaves, yeah, but guess what? So was the Old Testament. Not the Greco-Roman slaves, although and they never used them in the military, and he's saying, use this weapon of your body. He's not talking entirely of the Greco-Roman tradition of slaves in the military. He's talking about Exodus here a little bit. He's re-emphasizing our slavery power. What we owe, we owe we owe God our life. And so then it becomes very poignant here that we become His. That's, that's, that's the whole point of God creating man to have a relationship with Him. That was the whole point. And now he, He's redeeming everything back to Him. Redeeming everything back to Him. And, and so once you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, like you said, you become a slave to Christ. He bought and paid you. He hung your he hung on the cross to bear my sin. Every all of that. He did it all. Whatever they cost of everything for me. And I will never know what that cost him. Yeah, I owe I owe him my life. I mean, and so so we gotta die to the law so that we can live to God. In Galatians 2, 17 through 19. Now, should, uh, should we sin because we're now under grace? We should seek to live holy life since we are under grace. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. We speak, what did he tell us? You're holy because what? I'm holy. So it's not like that we, can, we can brag about what we got. You are holy because I am holy. That's the only that's the only reason we can stand before God is because He is holy and He is right and He has made us right. Nothing we did other than accept the fact that Christ died for us and we believe that He came and died and rose again for the remission of sin. And so that's that's where we're at. Second Corinthians seven one says that we are saved by grace and created unto good works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 10. We're saved by grace. For what? To do good works. What is the number one good work we do? Look God. Yeah, look God. We should have no other God before us. And, another, and the next thing is share God. That's 
called, that's our martyrdom. Go. Make disciples of the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what we're called to do. With whatever talent that He give us, that's what we're called to do. We should show an attitude of rejection. We, should we show an attitude of rejection of God? You know, are we deny, we are to deny ungodliness and worldly love. Titus 2, uh, verses 11 through 14. No, we're not to show a, reject, uh, 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 a rejection of God. The people, who, the people who show a rejection of God are going to pay. They're going to pay big time. Uh, we are not to turn the grace of God into ruins. We're not to go out and do whatever we want to do just because of faith. Just because of faith. Just like in, just like in 1 Corinthians, where they set that guy out, put him out from the church. It didn't cost him his salvation, but what it did do is he had to go out and they turned him over to Satan. And he's going to stand before God as a, as a saved individual, but we don't know what his job's going to be when we get there. And the reason they turned him out of the church was so that he would come back, hopefully, to himself and leave his flesh and return to, to his salvation. But it tells us plainly that he would not lose his salvation. Now they kicked him out. You can say it was excommunicated, whatever you want to use, he was out. And the church got stolen because they were allowed in the church. And so, you know, we shouldn't be ashamed of, of, of people sinning and us finding out and asking them to leave. And now, he didn't just ask to leave. People went to him and tried to get him to correct. There's a process. And that's where that where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'll be in the midst of them and bless them, because two or three are going to witness to this guy. They who got kicked out of the church. Trying to get him to help him make amends, to help him repent. So we should not be on ourselves and, 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 and turn grace, the grace of God into religion, uh Jude 4. Jude don't say a whole lot, but when he says it, it's pretty profound. Jude 4 says, you know, we shouldn't do this. Just because we have the right to do it doesn't mean we should do it. Uh, and we're not to flee, or, or we're not, uh, and we are now free to yield to righteousness. We can yield to righteousness. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit going to guide us that way. But we have to make an effort. We have to make an effort. The Holy Spirit is going to talk to us. Going to talk to our soul, going to talk to our heart. And God, if we have to make a decision to yield to the Holy Spirit or not, we have to. Otherwise, we would be robots. And, and God doesn't want robots. He wants people who freely love Him, freely worship Him, and freely do and obey Him, do His bidding. That's what He wants. I mean, if He wants to, He can. Jerry, you're going to go do this to this person right now. But he does. He puts it on my heart. I pray. You know, I need to, I need to call him over stuff. And, and, and these things happen. And I, I, I need to do it as soon as I know I can. Unless I'm supposed to wake him up in the middle of the night. But I doubt that. But I'm, we're supposed to go and yield to the Holy Spirit. And quit. If you don't quit squelching the Holy Spirit, you're going to get to where you can't hear it. Because it's a quiet voice, sorry. Quiet voice. 
So we must we must realize we cannot serve two masters. Matthew six twenty four. We become a slave to sin when we choose to sin. Here you go, John eight thirty four. We choose to sin. We have the ability not to. We have the ability to follow God. We have the ability to follow righteousness and seek righteousness. When we sin, we choose to. It's a choice. We can become a slave of corruption and be brought into bondage. Second Peter 2.19 Now, that being said, you cannot, as a child of God, indwell with the Holy Spirit and be possessed by Satan and faith. You can, however, be oppressed from the outside, but you cannot be possessed because darkness cannot live for their life. Can't. Go ahead. And that's <clears throat> what we're saying the authority of sin has been changed here. Since Jesus has, has conquered death, this sin is per, personified, if you will, in, in this chapter. Sin, he's talking about, is authority over you and sin is gone. And remember the law and sin are kind of linked here because the law shows you what sin looks like. And you can see it. It's looking in the mirror and seeing it. And so in this progressive uh, sanctification, as you become this child of God, um, that slave to righteousness isn't something you suddenly have, per se, but it is, is, a, is a work by God. It, and it actually says that um, thanks be to God, that has done this through you used to be slaves of sin you wholeheartedly obeyed in the past the form of teaching to which you were entrusted you were you, you did not have this chance to be obedient through christ and his work in his transformation transforming power we, we don't see that too often in the bible where he literally is transforming you well, it's a long process. And this whole plan that God had, like Terry said, like in Exodus, it's a plan that God had. And, and the plan is, remember the blood over the lentils? And then the firstborn would be saved? Remember the blood of Christ? <laughs> and those that are in the blood or have accepted well, salvation yeah. through Christ's blood, they are saved. But the rest are dead. They're walking dead. They don't know it yet. And so our, our idea, and God's idea, is to have compassion on these people that do not know this intensely difficult concept of the gospel. It's the whole gospel here. It's not, oh, you accept Christ and you're going to be saved. Oh, by the way, um, you know, you, if you brought there, you're going to have to do this you're gonna have to you're gonna have to love people. Now you take it up. You got people that are introverted, and you got people that don't like people, and they are now slaves of Christ, and they're called to love people. Not just love. We're called to love people, and we're to temper our reaction to it. And that's hard. And once what? Yeah, because because we we were like it. and if we don't temper our action to it, and we don't forgive them, guess what? 
Guess what happens to our relationship with Christ? It becomes blocked. Because we have forgiven. Remember what he said. Forgive unless you, unless you don't want, you know, if you don't forgive, you don't get forgiven. And now the forgiveness that we're talking about is not salvational forgiveness, it's relational forgiveness. I'm telling a fellow today that, you know, I can remember a time in my life. I, I, I did something to disappoint my father, my dad. And he didn't speak to me for two weeks. He didn't even acknowledge my presence in the house. I could sit down and say, good morning. He wouldn't acknowledge me. I could sit across the table from him. He would talk to everybody in the house, not me, for two weeks. Drove me crazy. Finally, one day I said, look, this is it. I said, I've had enough. I said, this is what I did. I apologize for it. If you want to whoop me, whoop me. You want to ground me, ground me. I can't take this anymore. And he, started, and he started loving me. He wanted me to admit what he already knew. That's like Christ. When we ask him to forgive us for what I did today, he already knows what we did. And until we verbalize it, we're, we're hurting ourselves. We're, you ever felt like the prayer for bouncing off the ceiling? Because there's something you ain't, you ain't admitted to. Well, that's in my life. I don't know how it works for y'all, but that's the way it works for me. I, I, I got brave one time. When I walked into my closet and sat down with a piece of paper, I mean literally in the closet, turned the light on in the closet, shut the door with, with, a, with a legal pad, and when I got through, I said, Lord, I prayed, reveal me all the things I have unconfessed. When I got through, right now, I paid that I had. It's been a long time since I was back in that closet. Not for purpose, but I, I, I made me aware of it. And I tried to, if I mess up, I try to get forgiveness and right there. And uh, because it builds up. It builds up. It's like a plumber having to come and snake the pipe to the water flow. Remember, we're supposed to have rivers of living water flowing from us. And if we have bossed up stuff that we had to confess, that pipe gets clogged. And then guess what happens to the water, the, the living water that's supposed to flow from it becomes stagnant. What happens to a tree when the fruit dies or falls off and stays around the bottom of it? It gets in the roots and it's killed. Apple trees ain't supposed to eat apples. Orange trees they ain't supposed to eat orange. We eat our own fruit, we die. Plant like that. You need to give it away. Gotta give it away. That's what it's there for. That's what it's there for. Give it away. And we, being most like we are today in Western society, we're selfish. Well, we're we're a rugged individual. Well, you can call it rugged individual, but we're, we're but it, it, on to it, right? it's uno, it, it's numero uno first. Right. I mean, you know, you need to give it away. Right. And, and it's hard for us to do that, especially as men. We're supposed to, you know, it's hard to witness to men and get men to come to Christ because all of this is you got to have a relationship with the Lord. Well, in my male mind, a relationship, uh, this is an intimate relationship. And I, you know, I got somebody preaching at me, telling me you, I need to have an intimate relationship with the Lord. The first thought that runs through my nasty mind to explain that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not going to. You know, it, 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 uh, uh, arrows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not a God thing. No, it ain't a God thing. Yeah. Uh, but you know, that's where I, your first mind goes. Okay. But then you realize that that the relationship that Christ is offering you 
it is much greater than anything you could have here. But you don't get there right from the snap of the finger. You got these things that you, you know, the Bible says you have to work out your own salvation too. And so these are things you got to work through. Righteousness and, and salvation, uh, salvation and, and righteousness is a process. I think it's like walking on an old three roof bridge. I was an engineer and we had a building. And you have to get that bottom roof tight as you can and two sides of the feet. And you have to walk not, not, not. And no matter how tight you get that rope, when you get down there so far, it starts to sag. And then you, you know, you're going downhill, and then when you hit the bottom, you're going uphill. That's our, that's our, our journey of life. You know, you're not going to fall in the creek of despair, but, but it's going it, to make a boat. There's a learning process. And so, uh, it, you know, just to jump in on that, uh, we, we, Sometimes I'll see the English explaining this, but they say here, do not offer the parts of your body to sin. I'm back, backing up in 12 and 14. As instruments to wickedness, we think, well, that's what I have, this instrument of wickedness. Well, the next one says, or your body, once you become Christ, to him as instruments of righteousness. We don't have that. So we think those instruments are ours, and we think this slavery is ours. And actually, we we are a slave, but the instruments are the devil for wickedness and of God for righteousness. What we are is the instrument. We are the instrument. Either the devil's leading us and doing evil, or God has taken us and can evangelize with us. These weapons that we are acquiring or having, we or God, are offensive weapons. We're either the feather or the hammer. Right. And so it's, it's, for sin shall not be your master. So, and, and it, it's a dualism up here, and there is no dualism in Christ, but it's a dual thing. The instrument of your body is what you are get it over to and the slavery to the master is what you're giving it over to so they go hand in hand righteousness in God for obedience for salvation or the instrument of wickedness to death handled you know because you're under the power of sin which is authority of sin which is Satan so it all it all is hard to see because we think we have a choice here as Paul says, you're all sinners. You don't have a choice. And as a sinner, and then you accept Christ, you are saved, you are now a slave. You, now you don't have a choice to become an authority. The authority is given to you by Christ. You have been a co-reigner with him. And so it's hard to see because it's part of what Christ is. Handling and and it's you're accepting of it. Right. We're to present our member at instruments of righteousness, Romans six thirteen. Uh, we are the servant of what we obey. So we need to follow the example of Joshua and obey the Lord. You know, Joshua twenty four fifteen. Uh, we have been delivered from being slaves to sin in Romans six seventeen, and so we can obey sin which leads to death. But we're not to let 
saying rule and obey and I in it love. We're not we're gonna put it away. We can we can eat it aside. Romans 6 12. Um, we see that Christ told the religious leaders that they were in bondage to sin in John 8 34. They didn't know God. They weren't bound up by sin. I mean, they were so into their corruption at the time and so into the power and the structure that they had, you know, this is, you know, power uh, not only does it corrupt, but it also intoxicates. And so all these Pharisees and Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, they were intoxicated with power and prestige, kind of what we have going on today. They get up there, they think they're better than they are, and then they're the ones that make the law, they're the ones that make the rules, and they can do what they want to because there's no repercussion. There's no repercussion. But there is. Not only here on earth, but there's going to be some repercussions when they die. And that's Romans 6, 17. Um, and so, so if, you, if, you, if, if we, uh, we are not to let sin rule and obey it in its lust, Romans 6, 12. Um, we see that Christ told religious leaders that they were uh, in bondage to sin, John 8, 34. Uh, we can choose to obey righteousness. We can now present ourselves as slaves to righteousness in Romans 6, 19, which we have not there yet. Uh, we can now walk in the Spirit, Galatians 5.16. I think we forget about walking in the Spirit and what that looks like. I think we forget about that it's even available to us because most of us probably haven't had much teaching on how to walk in the Spirit. Uh, some some denominations have, have, have failed with that. Uh, we get back to kind of slow to do some things, but, uh, but we can now be... Uh, and that, that was Galatians 5, 16. We can now be led by the Spirit, spirit uh, in Galatians 5, 18. And we can now choose to live in the Spirit in Galatians 5, 24 and 25. So we can walk in the Spirit, we can be led by the Spirit, or we can choose to live in the Spirit. Uh, and now we can bear one another's burdens in Galatians 6, 2. If we're in the Spirit, we're able to bear one another's burdens. How do you think we got through this past weekend? We were bearing one another's burdens. We were encouraging each other. We were lifting each other up. We were grieving with the family. We're grieving with the family tonight. Not only that family, but the one that had just buried their loved one today. We can do this because we lift them up in prayer and we ask the Lord to let us help bear their burdens. That's what we're called to do. They will know you were mine because of your love. What does the secular world do? Young, young, but to each his own. Uh, and so we can do this because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We can now use our opportunity to do good. Galatians 6 10. We're to do good all the time, but we can use and seek out opportunities to do good. To do good. Um, we can put on the new man which is created in righteousness in Ephesians 4 24. It tells us that when we accept Christ, we become a new creature. It tells us we're to put off the old man and put on the new. That's what it tells us to do. And we can do this with the Spirit. We can't do it without the Holy Spirit. Um, we can do all that we do in the name of Christ. Colossians 3.17 We can do it all. Through Christ who what? Strengthens us. 
I can do all things through Christ. If we're doing things and we're not doing them through Christ, they don't turn out well. And we get run down and we get tired and, and stressed. When you're working in Christ, within Christ, you, you won't get tired. You might get a little bit frustrated, but you won't get tired. And the words will always be there. And the things that you need will always be there. That's why it's important. If you're going to be an evangelistic church, you've got to be a, a praying church. And you've got to be a church that prays for the opportunity to evangelize. That you'll see those who are before you. Uh, just like us. Our church is known for praying for the sick and they get healed. Well, if we pray for the lost, it's as quick as we pray for them. And as hard as we pray for the sick. And with the diligence and the fervency that we do, not only will people be getting healed of illnesses, but they'll be getting healed of the sickness. So that's what you know. Focus on that. Uh, in Luke 10, yeah. uh, it, it tells in the Bible of things uh, when you enter a house, verse saying, Peace to this house. If the man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. There's almost a feeling of the Holy Spirit going on here. So you can discern whether or not engaging in a person like you were saying is is meant to be because you can feel it. And so, by the way, there's another part of this, the weapon of God, uh, the armor of God. In chapter 2, you're going to get that. <laughs> well, I'm going to go because But finally, be strong in the Lord. See, these weapons are the full armor of God. They're not yours. I mean, we see this as, as something that we have the ability to wield against the enemy. No, God has us. He owns us. And, and the hope life and the slavery of the time, that Paul halfway alludes to some of the things in the Greco-Roman church. They had a hope life. A hope life was a heavily laden armor military guy probably more like a slave than he's looting. He's saluting to this slave guy that they conscript, conscripted into the, the Roman army who carried the weapons. Who was bristling with weapons and, and, and things and walking along called Hope Light. And he he didn't engage. They weren't ever supposed to be military people in Rome if they were a slave, but they could certainly carry the weapons. And so Paul is alluding to this and carrying the weapons, they're God's, and you will be safe. And it's, it's, it's a picture we can't see in the English language because we're not in Roman culture, but Paul is talking to the Romans that probably many of them were slaves that in the Roman church, and so they're seeing this poignantly in terms of uh, a slave was was uh, carrying the weapons for his master in the military. And so Paul's alluding to this full armor of God. And, and it's, it, it's hard to, and that's why Bobby Baffin said it's the hardest chapter to kind of piece together because we don't really well today if you were describing if you were going to describe that whole armor of God in today's military, it have they have both good weapons. 
They'd have a night duty. They'd have a helmet. They'd have a night duty, or so they could see in the night. They would have uh, radios. They would, they would have ammunition, weapons, several types of weapons on. Uh, they would have boots. They would have camouflage gear so that they would blend in with the area. Uh, uh, so it, it would be a lot of that. Uh, and that's the same thing you know, that they talk about. But spiritually, the stuff, the armor of God is, is, will defeat Satan. It will protect you. And because uh, you notice that when you put on the armor of God, there's nothing on the back. Nothing. There's nothing talking about the back of the soul. Because number one, you're not supposed to flee the battle. And number two, Satan can only attack you from the front. He cannot attack you from the back. You stand your ground. You stand your ground. That's why he says, flee from me. And he has to flee. He can only attack you from the front. So when you say, yeah, I'm doing this, and all of a sudden Satan jumps on the back. No, he didn't. You asked him that. You asked him that. He can't do anything that you don't give me permission to do. You know, that's like uh, back when I was a kid watching TV before school, especially I think it was on Saturday, you know, they had the last hand. And the big thing was the devil made you do it. No, the devil didn't make you do it. You know, and, uh, and so the devil gets a whole lot of credit for the stuff that people do. And so anyway, it says we can thank God that he has set us free from sin. Uh, we can give thanks to God. We can give thanks always for all things. Do we thank Him for all things? Do we thank Him for the storms that we receive? Do we thank Him for everything? No. We tend to thank Him when things go good, and we tend to want to say, why me when things go bad? Why are you doing this to me? Look what I've done. You know, why not you? Look what He did to Job. How do you grow your faith? How do you grow your reliance upon God? Practice. So if you were if you were playing ball, how do you get good at playing ball? You practice at it. You work on the fundamentals. So if you want to grow your faith and learn to trust on Him more, then you have to get put in a position to where you can will have to rely upon Him. And sometimes we bring these situations on ourselves, and sometimes we we weasel into them by accident. But it causes us to have to rely upon God. Think about it. Man, when things are all crashing in on you, do you first thing you do is go to God or the first thing you do is whine? Feel sorry for you today. Me, sometimes, most times, I'll, I'll start that feeling sorry for myself. You know, it's just my nature. You know, I can't believe anybody would do this. Me, me of all people, I'm the nicest guy I've ever walked the face of the earth next to Jesus. No, I'm not. But that, that going through my mind, I can't believe that people would be doing this to me. Why would you do this? Lord, why would you allow this to happen? And then, you know, why not? Why not? Lord, I'm sorry. Give me the insight on how to journey through this. Give me the insight. Lord, forgive me for what I've done. Forgive me for doubting you. And, and then go on about uh, and it's a, usually those things are a long walk. What are the lessons that you learn the most? The ones that are most painful. To find out it was hot and not cut. Me, I had to do it twice because I thought it But that's after that second, I went and touched them Little things that you do. Little things. Uh, so there's lessons you learn are painful. 
Well, the reliance upon God cannot can take the pain away. But that experience, if you go through the things that we go through, it's not for us in the first place. I guarantee you, if you're going through a crisis in your life and you get through the other end, somebody in your sphere of influence is going to be going through it and you can help them. Look, this is what I did. God, I, I, I fussed and fussed and then, then I got hold of God. And I let him walk me through it. And this is how I got through it. I did this, this, and this. And, and so I'm going to be here for you if you need to talk. And, and, and you will go to God and we'll walk through this together. That's what we're supposed to do. And it's hard in today's time to do that because we have all these devices that make us want to be singular rather than plural. plural. How many times have you been to a family reunion and young people are sitting over there texting each other in the same room? They're sitting beside each other. Rather than speak, they're sitting each other text messages. See, that singular is getting you into because you can he can influence you better singular than he can plural. So, you know, like when we grew up, um, you know, you that the phone hung on the wall. We, our, our face time was you would see each other I hold out. And so today's not like that. So what we need to do is engage these people. They call send them texting, not texting. And then finally I have to look, it's too much text and call. Let's meet. Let's get a cup of coffee. You can have a cup of coffee or whatever. I drink a glass of tea or we, we can just do whatever. But let's just meet and talk face to face. And that usually works. Usually works. Uh, see, we can thank God because He has granted us repentance unto life. He didn't just forgive us of our sins. He granted us repentance into life. We were dead. Acts 11, 18. We can thank God for showing His grace to us and others in 1 Corinthians 24. I watched a, I watched a thing the other day on TV and this guy was witnessing and he said, uh, he said, what is the standard to get to heaven? And the guy said, perfection. Is there anybody in heaven now because humans are not perfect? Yes. So, well, how, so the standard to get there is perfection, but yet there are people that are there that are imperfect. He said, how do you reconcile that? He said, grace. Grace is the only and it blows their mouth. I mean, you can see the, the hair explodes. Grace. Nobody talks about grace anymore. We can, we can give thanks for other Christians. Ephesians 1.16 and Colossians 1, 3 and 4. Um, we can thank God for the following for the fellowship of other Christians. Why do you think we gather together with the saints, not the saints? So we can fellowship. We can worship together. So that we can lay our burdens upon each other. So we can sit down for a couple of hours a week and not have to worry about the ulterior motives of the people we're surrounded with. If we're all focused on worshiping God, then we don't have to worry about what brother so-and-so is saying or sister so-and-so is thinking. All we've got to worry about is, Lord, is what I'm doing here today pleasing to you. But when I'm coming to you with my whole heart, we're to be excited when we enter the church. And when the song is sung, we're to sing. We're to make a joyful noise. That's it. I mean, you, you, 
Move your lips. Make some sound tonight, even if it's whispering. You're praising God. That's what we're doing. We're praising God. And if we just sit there and don't say anything, how is that praising God during worship? Because He tells us to come for each other and to Him singing hymns and songs. That's what we're doing. Do you ever notice how music ramps up the church and sets the tone? Yeah. I mean, you get a good song in the morning and starts up and gets that heart pumping. Man, you excited. Not only does it excite the congregation, but it puts a feeling of, of this is going to be a great service. This is going to be a minute. Everybody else feeds off of that energy. Music is an important part of it. And so we should all sing like with me. I stand up there and tell you, I can't sing a lick, but I do it. I do it. I can remember when we were going to Taylor. The song would come on and I would get to sing and Sharon would elbow me. In the rib, she gave me a comment. I said, wow, she said, why? Why? I told her I was going to, I work at Hitler. I said, I'm going to give you one of them quarterback rib protectors and put it on my shirt. Let you elbow that and see how that funny bone does. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, and, I, and there was a guy that was a factor of the whole family there that was worse than me. They can't carry a tune in a buck. If you put the goes, I had to sit behind him and them because it was bad. It was bad. And the man got to live his dream. He got to be the music director. He said, I always wanted to do this. And he did. And he did an excellent job. Johnny just turned to music a little bit. But he did. He was proud of it, you know, and he he loved it. And I love the fact that he had the guts to get up there and do it. And he loved doing it. And I'm not being ugly about the brother. He just, I'm telling you right flat out, he can't sing Narga's his, his offspring. He just can't do it. They try. I mean, y'all look there. Tone deaf or what? But is that what it is? Tone deaf? If he knows, he, if he knows he was there, they know, I'm not calling him in, but they, 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 I'm surprised that he would hear a radio and sing along with it because it's bad. That's why it's so nice to have. And I know. Right there, because we struggled for weeks. Yeah. And, you know, to have a piano player and yeah. a leader and a yeah. trumpet. Yeah. Oh, he's pretty much all balled out. That asks a lot of questions. I mean, never mind. <laughs> this, this, I'm thinking, bro. This, this section is really well in there on a lot of weapons, but there's three verses I wanted to get out in the thing in light of this. And that was Philippians 1, 3, and 5. Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, you're good. The uh, Romans 13, 12, the night is nearly over, the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness mm-hmm. and put on the armor of light. Almost not your own. And it's somebody else's in truthful, and then this is 2 Corinthians 6, 7, in truthful speech and in the power of God, the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. 2 Corinthians 10, 4. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So Paul further clarifies this in other areas. But listen to the contrast of this summation verse 
Paul uses here. You have been set free from sin, freedom, and have become slaves to righteousness. Those two don't, don't those are opposites. But they coexist in this business that Christ has created. We are set free from sin. We, we have a freedom. Now we owe we owe servitude. And that's where Paul is going to land in this last part. Of this. We're going to be in service. The last piece of it is service. service. So we are being progressively sanctified for the service of God. You know, He transforms us. We want to do this. It's not like, oh my, now I've got to go do this. Really? Uh, you better go back to point one and realize who Christ is and what He did for you before you go to the second thing and yield to Him and the third thing and be a servant. I mean, those things are all crammed together in this chapter and they're just, this is a difficult chapter. Bodhi Falcon says, the most difficult chapter. You must understand almost the rest of the Romans to get chapter six. Um, yeah, we were we were serving him, whether we want to admit it or not. And now we're serving God. Two ends of the spectrum. You know, one year over here, another one over here. You know, and freedom into and freedom into Yeah, you know. Um, and so, once you, wherever you are, you know, you come to Christ, everything that, that to the left, if you're looking at a graph, everything that was to the left, why couldn't you? It doesn't exist anymore. It's like looking at a paper, and you've got your life across there, and then it's right here, it shows, shows a picture of a cross, and then you accept it. Everything to the right is third cross, should be. Everything to the left is void. It's off. It's not there anymore. He, he says he wiped it clean, not to be remembered again. He doesn't want to, we're not going to have to remember. Now, our, our, we have a mind and we have memory, but those two can, can, they can be moved a little bit. We are going forward, we are servants of God. We serve the most high God. And, and, and when the church, we get together as a congregation, whether it's Wednesday night, whether it's Sunday, whether it's work day, ladies group, men's group, are you excited to come to church? Or is it just, well, i got to go over and do this, I'll be at that while. You know, are we excited? We should be excited. We should be excited. And every time the doors are open, we should be there to do our best to meet here. Unless something comes up that we can't. That's, that's, that's the least you can do. Think about your job. You know, you have a job and you love to do that job, and that job you get your you like it. I mean it's who you are. You don't want to miss no day at work because you don't know what you're gonna miss. Well, this is a, this is our life. This is not just this is not just a, a religion. This is not just a, a, a talk. This is our life forever. Yes. Not only are we going to be doing it here, but we're going to be doing it back. And there's there's some there's some things that that, that come to light that most folks don't understand. 
I'm, I'm going I'm to throw this out there and see if we can get from it. From the time the church is called up until the great white throne judgment is over a thousand years. Because the dead Christ is going to rise, and those that are alive are going to be caught up. And John says, I see them in 20 sitting on thrones. And then he sees Satan being bound by an unnamed angel, wrapped with a chain, thrown in the abyss, and tore locked and sealed for a thousand years. And at the end of a thousand years, with peace on earth for a thousand years, the door is going to be open for a little while. And then Satan is going to be cast into the lake of the fire, lake of fire and sulfur and brimstone, where the Antichrist and the false witnesses are. Okay. Then the remaining dead are going to come forward. The thieves are going to give up the dead. The ground's going to give them up, and they're going to come and stand before God with the books open. Books plural. And if your name's not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you're going to be judged according to your deed and thrown in the lake of fire forever. And ever. Amen. See, during that, right after that thousand years, he's going to get up and move God and make God and go to the four corners of the world and try to deceive people and come and surround the city. The stronghold of the faith. And then that's when it's going to happen. Thousand years millennial reign for the peace on earth before the battle of Armageddon. And Paul looks forward to this. Yep. He says we're in slavery. Yep. He's going to destroy them and then he's going to judge them. But there we got a thousand years. A thousand years is after Armageddon. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, Armageddon is at the end. Yeah. The millennial reign of Christ is after Armageddon. Okay, well then I got it. The next thousand years, it's the battle of Armageddon, thousand year reign, and then the judgment. Right. But the dead that are not in Christ are going to be in the ground for over a thousand years. Or in the sea or wherever they're at. They call that second coming the Perusia. Yeah. And they call it the, the, the first, the, the second, they call it the, the resurrection. Right. And uh yep. And Paul in this whole story of Romans, son of slavery. He was a he was a subject subject to Rome. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and they were under the thumb of Rome. Mm-hmm. And and he's he's poignantly feeling this as he writes this. He has to be. And so He's in this crucible of overwhelming Roman military might. Right. He's being ground. And he's in jail when he's writing this. So it's, it's no doubt amplified his apocalyptic, his end of times story. His narrative for the end of times is coming. It's, it's down the road for us. Yeah. Any questions, any comments? And I, I've always assumed, and I could be wrong, I don't have any biblical evidence, but I always just, if you weren't a follower of Christ, and for example, you were possessed, could Satan make those people do things? You know, you say Satan made me do this, 
say, because you kind of see people acting today in a way that... Well, that's the last When you see that example in the Bible of, yeah. of the demon, the demoniac. Yeah. yeah. So can, can Satan make those people do things he wants them to do if he's possessed? He has to be him. Or, you know, I'll say it, but as far as demonically possessed, yeah. uh, the nations are too. The leader of the nations. Some thought that if the heads of the nations have another head above them, that's a demon. Yeah. Remember the pantheism of Rome? Well, here, yeah. here, here, yeah. they, they had a demon, and they named those demons. Remember, going back to Exodus, uh, Egypt, they had the frog demon, they had the... Well, every one of those plagues in Egypt was at one of the Egyptian gods. Mm -hmm. And so every one of those plagues had to do with a, a god that was supposed to protect Egypt. Like the first plague being the uh, turning the water to blood. There was a, there was a god that, that was supposed to keep the water pure. And so those demons, or the demonic, the pharaohs, Back then, it's foreshadowing of the world today. So God took His people out of Egypt, and so He's taking His people, the kingdom of God, out of this world. It's poignant, and it's there, but I can hardly see it at times. It's so difficult to put it in perspective. But that's what's going on. God here is gathering in the end of times. You know, you put the you put the blood of a lamb on the window and doorpost because you're they didn't care who was inside. Right. They they have, they well now, now you take the you're covered in the blood of the lamb on your heart, and so the uh, angel of death will pass over you. This is so real. <laughs> it doesn't leave the the guy had an excuse. Oh, the devil made me do it. The biggest, highest sold, yeah. sold book. <laughs> they got a clue yeah. they can take home with them. Just take it home, open it up, and agonize over understanding because we all do. Any other question at any other time? You got that question. Thank you, James, for correcting my timeline. Well, I'm going to write a cry. Right, right. There's that we go to the new heaven. Right. New heaven and the new earth for We don't go there until after the one already. Right. Yeah. So that's Who? important. Who goes? Nobody goes to the new heaven right. until after the one already. That's correct. Yeah. The new. The new heaven and the new earth. That's right. All things fast and right. Yep. Any other questions? Any other comments? It's a daily choice. Well, will I obey the Lord or will I not? Yeah, daily choice. You remember the Bible says that every every moment is an eternal decision. It may not necessarily be eternal for us because we're faith, but people watching us it can be an eternal decision. That's right, and they're watching us whether we, you know. they they know if you're a Christian or not. Oh, they know. Any other questions, any other comments? Let's put the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for these Bible studies. Lord, we thank you that we can learn. We thank you that, that we can see your plan. Though sometimes we see a cloud, 
Uh, we thank you every now and then, Lord, that you'll, you'll wipe the dust away so that we can see. Uh, we ask you, Lord, to touch our hearts so that we can share it. Uh, that we understand without a shadow of a doubt what our, our job is. And, and God is not the right term, but how we serve you, how our lives will be, to bring honor to you in order for us to be useful in your kingdom and for the advancement of your kingdom. For we love you. We don't understand all things. We don't know all things. But that's okay. We know you and you hold all things. That's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.